Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He thinks he's running against somebody else. He's running against Joe Biden. When I finish, this country will be in a position like it hasn't been maybe ever. You're listening to our special U.S. election series, Campaign Confidential. It was anything but a usual presidential debate season. The first debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden devolved into a shouting match, unlike anything we've seen in modern American political history. The question is, the question is, radical left. Will you shut up, man? Who is on your list, Joe? The first debate was so shocking that the team in charge of organizing the debates changed the rules for future meetings. They implemented mute buttons for candidates who didn't abide by the rules. In a statement, the Trump campaign said the president is committed to debating Joe Biden regardless of last-minute rule changes, but the campaign slammed the debate commission, calling the changes their latest attempt to provide advantage to their favorite candidate. The organizers also had to change the format mid-season, after Donald Trump tested positive for the coronavirus a day after that first encounter. That meant the vice presidential candidates Mike Pence and Kamala Harris debated while separated by plexiglass. If the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. The fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine, if the vaccine emerges during the Trump administration, I think is, is unconscionable. And as we geared up for a virtual second debate, Trump withdrew from it. And instead, each candidate opted to host an individual town hall. That didn't work out quite as Trump planned either, because Joe Biden's town hall event ended up with more viewers. So finally, last week, the two met again. The plexiglass was in, then it was out. And what we got was a more mellow debate. When he talks about a public option, he's talking about destroying your Medicare, totally destroyed, and destroying your Social Security, and this whole country will come down. You know, Bernie Sanders tried it in his state. He tried it in a state. His governor- By that stage, about 50 million Americans had already voted. So this week, I spoke with Politico White House reporter Gabby Orr about the top moments in the presidential debates and why they're bound to impact this election. I'm Gabby Orr, and I'm a White House reporter for Politico. We're so pleased to have you on the podcast, Gabby. Let's start with President Trump's COVID diagnosis. Stunning news. The president of the United States now confirming to the world that he and the first lady of the of the United States have both tested positive for the coronavirus and they will quarantine. We look back at that and the horrified reaction that most people had to the first debate. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. 
That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate. It was a disgrace. Knowing all of that, how damaging was Trump's first debate performance? Did it really lead to a wasted month or am I being dramatic in that assessment? You're not being dramatic at all. In fact, it's consistently the one moment where Trump campaign officials point to and say, if we lose on November 3rd, it could very well be because of the president's performance in that first debate. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you, look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. And right like me to white proud supremacists and right proud boys. White supremacists and right proud boys. Stand back and stand by. I'm you go first. I spoke with officials back shortly after the first debate happened in, in September, but then also recently after the second and final debate just last week in Nashville. And, you know, they, they all said there was obviously a very clear difference between the President Trump that we saw in Nashville last Thursday and the version of the president that we saw back in September. And that was an explicit acknowledgement that what he did in September did not work and should not be replicated in any debates going forward. The Trump campaign really puts that debate in in dire terms. It was, it, it decimated morale inside the campaign. It had such an effect on polls that you saw in the days after it really did give Biden the lead that he has right now and that he's been able to to maintain. And they had to ramp up their spending. They had to invest more. They had to reevaluate their ground game just internally. It had a big impact on all their uh, dynamics and fundraising as well. Yeah. One other quote that you had in another recent article from Republican Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, that really caught my eye because I got the sense that Trump's first debate performance ended up putting a bunch of Senate seats in play, like seats that should have been a lock for Trump. And then Alexander was saying that after the last debate, well, finally, he wasn't dragging anyone down. You know, his performance allowed the Senate candidates to get on with their life. Is that a, a thought that really struck you as well when he told you that? Yeah, it did. And and for one one reason only, and that's that debate performances don't typically move the needle that much. And so it does really say something that a lot of Republican senators who are either in vulnerable positions themselves or have colleagues who are in tight races have publicly acknowledged that the president was dragging them down heading into Election Day and that, you know, they really felt as though he did a lot of damage not only to his own presidential campaign, but also to uh, down ballot Republican candidates after that first debate. We don't have many polls out that have have come on the the heels of the second debate that show whether the president was able to get a significant polling bump. Uh, We also don't have polls that are showing kind of where the Senate races are after that second debate. But I do expect that there will be some type of change in the polls just in the next couple of days here. And and I'm sure that Senator Alexander and, and many of his colleagues who are facing, you know, democratic challenges and ones that are there that are very viable at this point, uh, that they'll be paying close attention to, to mm-hmm. how that debate might have moved the needle one way or another. 
And now that the debates are over, the president is back in his comfort zone. He's got rallies and that's all he's got left. I'll tell you and this. so it's I'll where he's most this. comfortable, but you were also writing that they're the ground zero for his worst impulses. So is your assessment that he's keeping it somewhat under control so far, or is it already unraveling back into that worst impulse zone? Well, you know, today will be kind of the first big test of that. He did have a couple of events over the weekend, one where he, you know, explicitly mentioned uh former President Obama by his middle name, Hussein. The only one more unhappy than Crooked Hillary that night was Barack Hussein Obama. Which kind of gives you a perfect example of the type of rhetoric and red meat that you hear at these campaign rallies. And that's why they're so concerning to the president's uh, own campaign aides to some extent, but also to those Republican candidates who I just mentioned, who really want him to be on his best behavior in the next eight days. They want to see the version of of President Trump that they saw at that second debate in Nashville, where he was polite to his opponent. He was disarming in some ways. I mean, he was even complimenting the moderator, Kristen Welker. By the way, so far, I respect very much the way you're handling this, I have to say. By the way. But somebody should ask the question. Which was just kind of bizarre to see (laughs) from this president. And so... That's really the the version of him that they want in the next the the last few days of this race. They think that that's the most helpful to him, but also to all of the congressional Republican candidates who are in tight races right now. Mm -hmm. And do you have any sense that the Trump ticket has significant momentum in the battleground states at this point? His schedule does seem to show a very purely defensive play at this point. He's going back to all the states he did well in in 2016, and he's not really putting new states in play. No, he's not. And on top of that, he's he's spending some time in states that a Republican candidate normally wouldn't have to spend time in in the last week of the election. He'll be in Arizona this week. He was just in Macon, Georgia last week. I love Georgia. I love being with you. This is Georgia. This is Macon, Georgia. We won Macon, Georgia. We're going to win it again. It's great to be back in the heart of this incredible state with the thousands of loyal, hardworking, unbelievable American patriots. Thank you very much. These are states that Republicans have held for decades. And so for a president to have to divert, you know, precious time and resources away from your traditional battlegrounds, your industrial Midwestern states, your states, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio, states like Iowa that weren't supposed to be battlegrounds, but have become those. It really does suggest exactly what you said, which is that he is in a defensive, defensive crouch, a defensive posture um, heading into the final sprint toward election day. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen the vice president, who obviously is currently dealing with a a coronavirus outbreak among his staff. This morning, concerns of another coronavirus outbreak at the White House after five of Vice President Mike Pence's associates, including his chief of staff, test positive for COVID-19. They really need somebody who can be in the Midwest, in states like Minnesota, New Hampshire, Maine, uh, where they're trying to either add votes to the Electoral College map or at least, you know, compensate for states that the president might lose. So Pence has sort of become that that top surrogate for the president while while Trump is focused on places like Florida, Ohio, and then also Arizona, Georgia, 
and other places that he normally wouldn't have had to have campaigned in. Have faith in America and in the boundless capacity of the American people to overcome any challenge. And have faith that he who has ever guided this great nation, as the old book says, knows the plans he has for us. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. And with faith in the American people and faith in God's grace, we know the best days for America are yet to come. That is absolutely fascinating. I just read that Mike Pence didn't want to follow the COVID protocols rather than that the campaign saw it as essential that he was out there or else, you know, things might definitively shut down for them. Do you think that the COVID diagnoses in Pence's office affect this dynamic much? You know, is it bad luck or is it a sign that he's actually part of the problem that voters are saying they have with President Trump and the the pandemic? Well, I given that he is the chairman of the federal government's coronavirus task force, I think that the issue here is a matter of credibility now um, to have his own staff deal with a pretty rapid spread of the virus internally in the last week before the election. It's a blow to Mike Pence, uh, both as vice president and as, you know, a future GOP presidential candidate, Mike Pence. So in that ways, I do think it does a little bit of damage, but at the end of the day, and this is something that campaign officials have said to, to myself and to my colleagues, you know, the vice president doesn't really matter all that much. And the president already had COVID and he recovered from it. And now he's proving that he has the stamina and the wherewithal to, to be on the campaign trail, um, holding as many as three rallies in a day during the last leg of the race. And so that's what voters are going to be paying attention to, not the vice president and his own staff's battle with, with COVID-19. Is there any anything Biden can do at this point to screw this campaign up significantly? You know, we saw him in the final debate make a comment about transitioning to the end of the oil industry. Would you close down it the oil industry? Way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's transition. a big It you. is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But that's a big statement. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas, excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do All give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, Ohio. and then I have to get to the final There's question. There's very divergent takes on the impact that could have. Is there something else he could do that really muddies the water for him? Well, I think the big question is whether he should be out on the campaign trail right now or not. Uh, we haven't seen the vice president since the, the debate in Nashville, really. He has not been out on the campaign trail like the president has. And so I think the big question that will ultimately be answered on election day is is whether a traditional campaign in a very non-traditional election cycle was the right move, uh, which is what the Trump campaign tried to do, or whether a non-conventional campaign that really focused heavily on digital media and, and advertising was the right move. And that's obviously what the Biden campaign has tried to do. 
so that's really the only thing that could potentially backfire for the the former vice president but that's not something we'll know until november 3rd gabby thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me in the end presidential debates in and of themselves generally do little to directly change the polls but they do shape the election in many ways they show us the character of the candidates when under extreme pressure they force the candidates to deliver more than sound bites and there are no advisors to save them no waiting cars or planes for them to jump into. They set the agenda for what the media discusses the days before and the day after the debate. And of course, the things you do on stage can reinforce existing impressions in ways that are hard to undo, because 60 to 80 million voters may be watching. But in a year like 2020, it's impossible not to notice that a mere debate tends to pale in comparison to the endless waves of news crashing down all around us. This election campaign alone, we've seen $11 billion unloaded into 100 or more competitive races up and down the ballot. We've seen Trump's own coronavirus diagnosis. And then the historic pick of Kamala Harris as Biden's vice president. We've seen tweets and other social posts blocked. Even a ballot drop box set on fire in Boston on Monday, reminding us that even the process of voting and vote counting, the very essence of democracy, is now controversial. An unprecedented number of ballots have been cast early, with some counties, including Hayes County, just south of Austin, Texas, already past 100% of the 2016 turnout. But with one week to go, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that anything really is possible. That's it for this week. The regular EU Confidential crew will be in your feed on Thursday. And next week, we'll bring you an episode of Campaign Confidential a whole day early on Monday instead of Tuesday, with everything you need to know in order to watch election night like a pro. So until then, I'm Ryan Heath in New York. Thanks to our producer, Christina Gonzalez in Brussels, and see you next Monday. Bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.